Greetings, friends. This is the weekend of Sunday, June the 10th, and we are continuing in our series of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. This week, we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so I'm going to read Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And today I'm going to read it from the message, Eugene Peterson's translation of the scriptures, reading from the message. Be assured from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He sets us up in the kingdom of the Son he loves so much. The Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In all honesty, we who have been parents, grandparents, babysitters, we know that babies are not always pleasant to be around. Like the description says, a baby is a digestive apparatus with a loud noise at one end and no responsibility at the other. Babies are notoriously selfish, self-centered. Immediately upon birth, they bear the imprint of the fall of Adam. Their whole world is centered around themselves. That is all they think about. It's all they know. Those who take care of them for the day, those who take care of them long for the day when they will begin to learn some self-control, to, to be able to sleep at night, to become potty trained, and to feed themselves. You know, ironically, it's the same in the Christian life. The scriptures liken new Christians to babies. Peter, in fact, says, As newborn babies desire sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So like newborn babies starting out in life, new Christians are loved, they're welcome, but they, but they need special care. And though they show a great deal of promise and potential, yet everybody waits and hopes for them to, to grow up a bit. In the letter to the Colossians, we have come to that point in Paul's concern for those Colossian believers. Paul has recognized the true Christian life of these believers. They have already shown the unmistakable marks of newborn babes in Christ. There's a new hope in their lives, a far cry from the hopelessness of their former lost condition. And that hope is born in the fact that in the gospel, they have learned that Jesus himself was available to them personally to help, to be there. And from that hope came faith, and they believed that hope and had been gunned to, to count on Jesus' presence with them and to draw strength from him. And out of their faith then had come compassion and concern for others, especially their brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Those are the, the marks of a believer, faith, hope, and love, as, as Paul so beautifully puts in 1 Corinthians 13. But now Paul is concerned that they, they go on and grow up. 
this is also the emphasis of, of a lot of the New Testament. The weaknesses of the church is that believers often remain babies all their lives. You see, sometimes we settle down and we never grow up. The church, as a result, flounders in weakness and turns, to be honest, a lot of people off. It is growing up that is important, as Paul emphasizes in these very first words here in Colossians 1, 9 through 11. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience with joy. So, so let's stop here briefly, although it's difficult to stop anywhere in this, in this, this passage because it's all one thought. But, but Paul knows that the Colossian Christians are living in a dangerous world. And as we go on in this letter, we discover what's threatening them. This volcano of false teaching has begun to erupt, and it's engulfing them. It's threatening to destroy the simplicity of the faith that is producing beauty and liberty in their lives, the very reason, the very thing that they came to. And Paul is in Rome, prisoner in chains, unable to travel to Colossae, thousands, a thousand miles east to help them, there's nothing he can do physically for them, but spiritually, he's a, he's a prayer warrior, who, and he can create in their midst a tremendous opportunity to know the truth that will free them and then enable them to withstand this assault of false teaching. That, then, is what he's doing. He's praying for them. And the striking thing about this prayer is the very first sentence of it. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. This was a continuing prayer. As far as we know, Paul had never been to Colossae. Apart from one or two among them, he did not personally know these believers, and yet he prays continually for them. When we come to statements like this in Scripture, I think it's quite fair to ask, well, when did he do this? I, I mean, I know my day. I know, I know a lot of your days. I mean, when did he do this? I mean, day and night, he's chained to a Roman guard. He never has a moment to himself. Awake or asleep, he is bound to his jailer. And then when he's awake, his friends are dropping by to see him, to seek counsel and instruction. He even ministers to the Roman guards, many of whom come to Christ, as, as we learn later in, in, in the letter to the Philippians. He's busy writing letters, too. So when in the world did he find time to continuously pray for these Colossian believers, people he didn't even know? And I think the answer lies in, in somewhat in the form of prayer that uh, Dr. Carl Lundquist calls living prayer. Here's a quotation from him. This is the description of an ongoing life of prayer used by Maxine Dunham and Maxie Dunham, excuse me, in his workbook of living prayer. It refers to quiet, whispered prayers and praises that flow from our hearts all day long. Dunham suggests that we use interruptions, people or events that break in unexpectedly upon our day as calls to specific prayer. Most of us use mealtime right? Grace. We say grace to think of God and to voice our thanks to him. But more than food can call us to prayer. Frank Laubach, the, the mystic, challenges us to the newspaper or the media, the television in the same way. As world decision makers are pictured before our eyes, we can breathe a quiet, 
prayer for them by name. We can read a newspaper prayerfully, whispering back to God our intercessions for those in need about whom we are reading. When someone calls our attention to himself, even in an impolite way, tripping us on the bus, jabbing us with an umbrella, dodging in front of us in traffic, Lobbock suggests that of the four billion persons in the world, God may be calling that particular individual to our attention in order to inspire prayer for him. End quote. Interesting. So have we ever prayed for people who who cut in front of us in traffic, asking God to bless them, not blast them, so to speak? That's what this is suggesting, that continual prayer arises constantly as a reaction to what we are going through. I'm sure this explains Paul's words here, though the day he through the day he would think of the Colossians, how they were doing, what was threatening them, and he would breathe a prayer for them. This this is what it means when he says we have not stopped praying for you. We can pray for each other in that same way. And the illuminating aspect of this is what Paul prayed for. Notice this is what he says. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is the content of his prayer. Everything else in that passage flows out of that. The one thing he asked for is that the Colossians might come to understand God's will. And it's clear that this is... The important thing to Paul, he knows that if they begin to understand the will of God, everything good that he desires for them will then follow. The the chief aim of a believer's life ought to be to know God's will. And I think this is he, this is where a lot of young believers kind of go astray. They they sort of think that the will of God is an itinerary that they have to discover, where God wants them to go, what God wants them to do. And a lot of their prayers are addressed with those thoughts in mind. What should I do today? Where should I go? Whom should I marry? Et cetera, et cetera. And there's a deep and a profound psychological principle involved in this. You see, God knows us. And he knows that our behavior flows out of who we think we are. Have we ever asked someone who makes us mad, who upsets us, what do you think you, who do you think you are anyway? Well, we instinctively know that offensive behavior is a result of who we think we are. That's, that is why such challenges are given. And God, too, knows that. Of course he does. The glory of the good news is that he has made us into something different than we once were. Therefore, the primary course in the curriculum of the Spirit is to learn who we are now what God has made us to be, and especially our relationship, this new relationship to him. We're not, we're not our own. We were bought with a price. We no longer belong to ourselves, so we are no longer get to live for ourselves. Our will, our pleasure, our comfort are no longer things to be primary in our life. But what, God's, but what God calls us to be and what he has made us to be there, rather than, And the more I think we understand who we are and what God has done to make us that, the more our behavior will automatically change and we will do the things that follow here in this passage. That's why Paul puts the knowledge of God's will first. So where do we find that out? Paul goes on to say, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there, there are two things that enable us to discover the will of God. Well, there's many things, but two things to, to help us enable to discover the will of God. The first is spiritual wisdom, i.e. wisdom that comes from the spirit, not from the natural mind of man. In 1 Corinthians, Paul contrasts these two things, saying, Our ministry is not according to the wisdom of man, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. 
He goes on to say, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glorification. Paul is speaking of divine insights into human life, how to understand ourselves, how the world functions, which God reveals, but of which natural man knows nothing, no matter how well educated they may be. That is what we believers then need to discover, what God thinks about life. That is reality. If we want to be realistic, then we have to read and study the scriptures to discover how God looks at things. Everything else is the fantasy. If we want to live realistically, then we have to learn spiritual wisdom, the wisdom of God. The second thing then is, is necessary to discover the will of God is understanding, and that is the application of the wisdom we are learning to the specific circumstance we're going through. As someone has well put it, a clear vision of what needs to be done. You see, some of us are struggling with problems and we don't know what to do. Well, I think the first thing we need to understand is how God sees our problem and what he says about it in his word. Then there will come, as we pray and seek, seek him, a clear vision of what needs to be done, what steps to take or not to take. That's how we discover the will of God. This all comes from the Spirit. These are not natural abilities. They are given by the Holy Spirit and therefore possible to all believers. So when we open the scripture, when we open the Bible, pray that God will help us to understand what it says. And that is asking uh, for, for what Paul speaks of here, spiritual wisdom and understanding. God goes on to say why he wants them to understand. Paul, excuse me. Paul goes on to say why he wants them to understand God's will. It is what he knows will follow if the Colossians gain the knowledge of his will. And here's what he says is going to happen. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that he might, you may have great endurance and patience with joy. Give thanks to the Father. Five things here, the first three of which are, are activities that believers have a choice in. We, we can deliberately choose to do them. And then the last two are results that grow out of those first three. First, that we may live a life worthy of the Lord. When we understand that God has made us who God has made us to be, though we don't deserve it at all, we're his child, cherished by him, our guilt and sin are taken care of, and that God is our loving Father who protects us, guides us, guards us. And when we see him and all his majesty, his beauty, then we will become concerned about whether our behavior reflects his beauty and what others will think of our God when they are watching us. That is a life worthy of the Lord. And other in the others of his letters, Paul urges Christians to walk worthy of their calling. This is the first thing we are to be concerned about, our impact upon others, how our lives are impacting theirs and what our actions make them think about our God. The second activity that will flow from a knowledge of who we are is to seek to please him in every way. The chief aim of every believer ought to be that we are pleasing to God, that we seek to live in, in a way that delights God. What, what quality of life is pleasing to God? Well, the scripture probably puts it most effectively in, in a negative way. In, in the book of Hebrews, we're told, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So faith, then, is what pleases him. Every time Jesus approved or commended people, it was because of their faith. Interesting. You have great faith, he said to the woman who pled with him to heal her, her condition. 
Your faith is great, he said to a centurion who asked him to heal a servant. Whenever our, the Lord commends people for anything, it is because they believe him and then act on what he says. They don't conform to the customs of people around. Rather, they swim against the stream of life and stand firmly upon what he says, trusting him. That is what pleases God. And then the third result, bearing fruit in every good work. The fruit always and everywhere in Scripture is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and our relationships and actions with regard to others. Concern, compassion, encouragement, and help in a time of stress. Bringing a word of peace into a, a troubled, hostile atmosphere. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That's what Paul is talking about. Bearing fruit in every good work. And after these began to take place in our lives, then two results follow. This, is the, this first is given at the end of verse 10, growing in the knowledge of God. Paul has been praying that the Colossians come to know God's will. And now he says that as they put these things into practice, that they will know God better than ever before, seeking to walk worthy of God, to, to please him with fruitful activity results in knowing God more and more intimately. So let's let's call attention to what we're going to say next here so, that, so we won't miss it. Knowing knowing God is the most exciting thing that can can ever happen to us. Knowing knowing Jesus and knowing God is the secret of excitement and vitality in a life. People who know God are never bored for the opposite of knowing God is boredom. To know God means that we are always turned on about everything because we see God everywhere. We see him in nature and people we meet in trials, hardships and challenges everywhere. That is why people who know God, people who know the Lord are always exciting to be with. They lift our spirits when we meet them. Faces light up as they enter a room. They know the Lord and the excitement of that captivates and it changes them. And that is what Paul says will happen as we grow in the knowledge of God. We put into practice these three goals in our lives. And this is what Jesus means when he says to the woman at the well, I will put you in a well of water springing up into eternal life. It's always there, that refreshing quality of knowing God. And that second result is found in verse 11 and 12, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. The sign of true spiritual power is right here. People who learn how to become patient and long-suffering with joy. It is these who have touched the wellsprings of the true spiritual power. It is as plain as the nose on our face, Paul says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So when we were faced with irritating circumstances or difficult people, it takes power to remain patient and long-suffering because my natural tendency is to get upset, to scream in impatience, to become resentful and angry. And it takes power to resist these when I feel them rising within me. But yet every believer has that power. And the sign is that they lead quiet, cheerful lives, then hang in to the end. That's what it's meant by endurance. The, the word is best translated stick to People who have this quality, well, they don't quit. They hang in there with their relationships, despite the pressures of their work and their circumstances. Endurance is a word that relates primarily to circumstances. The second word translated here, patience, is really long-suffering, a willingness to wait and not pay back in kind. 
It has to do with the willingness to forgive and the refusing to take revenge. It's the, it is being gracious rather than being right. And the third mark is that of joyful gratitude, a cheerful spirit that never gets discouraged. The more we think about them, the more an attitude of gratitude controls our life. Paul continues, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1, 12-14. Such a statement of truth hardly needs any exposition but here here are three things to be grateful for first of all for privileges that we don't deserve we have been qualified by god not ourselves to share in the inheritance of the saints and the resources available to all the saints what are these a father's love a savior's presence a family of brothers and sisters to support and uphold a certain destiny of glory after death nothing can take those away from us if we remember these we can rejoice in the midst of whatever comes These are privileges we don't deserve for which we have been qualified by God. Secondly, there are perils from which we've been delivered. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What a thought to awaken within our minds. Think of the terrible things that might have happened to us had we never become a believer. Did did I ever think where I would be if Christ had not entered my life? We've been delivered It's like a SWAT team that comes in and snatches a victim out of a dangerous situation. So the Lord Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from increasing uncertainty about life and from groping after futile goals. He's delivered us from blindness, from death. And the third category is is pressures from which we have been freed. He has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. We have been freed from the feeling of being unwanted. That is one of the most devastating feelings any human can experience. The feeling that nobody cares, that nobody wants us, that nobody loves us. That is forever, forever rendered untrue by the work of Jesus. He has brought us into his kingdom and with him we share the love of the Father. We are wanted. We are cherished children of a loving Father. We have been delivered also from the feeling of being unworthy. We have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. By natural birth, by birth, we are all unworthy, but love has set us free and has made us both wanted and worthy. And the forgiveness of sins means that we can start every single day fresh, clean, all of yesterday's mistakes washed away, not, not in order that we can go back and repeat them, but that we might have nothing against us as we begin again. Every day we start fresh until we learn to do it right because God is with us, Emmanuel. He cleanses the past continually. The forgiveness of sins is something that that I should rejoice in every single day because the burden of guilt of yesterday is no longer dragging me down. We are free to walk into liberty and peace. Amazing. And so I close today by rereading Colossians 1, 9 through 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Amen. And God bless.